I don't think the monkeys have patience. That's one thing I could say. Uh, that has been my experience when trying to explain relativity to monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to What the If. It's good to have you back, listeners. And if you're new, welcome. You have no idea what you're in for. but Nor either. do we, frankly. Yeah. Exactly. Nor do we. <laughs> <laughs> Philip Shane here, documentary filmmaker, and Matt, uh, Matthew Stanley, world-famous author of Einstein's War. At least neighborhood famous. No, no, you were on the BBC. Oh, well, that's true. I was on the BBC. Yeah. That's good, right? That's out. That's uh, all the ships at sea. Uh, that's right. The entirety of the Royal Navy and the Merchant Marine. Yeah. All listening. That's fantastic. The BBC. I mean, look, Monty Python was on the BBC. Anything else? You, any, if you, you make my connection to, the, to Monty Python shorter. <laughs> Anything I can do. That's yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> We have a very exciting show, speaking of Einstein's war, coming up a little bit. Real fast, I do want to give a shout out to, as I mentioned in, in the previous episode as well, I was chatting with Rose Eveleth, who, who makes the Flash Forward podcast. I don't know if you've ever heard that, Matt. I have not. No. It's a uh, fascinating thing. She, she does a little bit similar thing to us. She speculates about what if something in, usually in the future, but she's, you know, an NPR producer, NPR style producer, and so she does actual journalism. Cool. Uh, she goes out and, and interviews people and, and does this. So, so we are trading shout outs. She also enjoyed our show, and we thought our audiences would enjoy the different takes on, on this idea, the way each show does it. So I want to give a shout out to Rose Eveleth's Flash Forward Pod, flashforwardpod.com. Check that out. Real quick, Matt, what is this show? How would you describe it? Oh, this show is improvisational science fiction with an educational component. <laughs> if I were to invent a Netflix category for it. That is the... Did you just think of that now? I did. That yeah. was the best description. <laughs> See, the book tour is working. BBC. But basically, we uh, we change reality a little bit and then um, see where that takes us. Indeed. Indeed. And today, we are asking a question that I myself have wondered very much, even having spent years studying this topic. What the if... We could see... Space-time. Space-time. Space-time, time, time. Space-time. What the heck? That is the subject of your New York Times new and noteworthy book. That is true. Einstein's yeah. War. Einstein's War. Available now. What, 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 so, here's an interesting thing. I was working on, I'm working on a documentary. It's about a rabbi, a brilliant and hilarious rabbi. However, not a physicist. 
And I was watching some footage just the other day, and he said, which came first, space or time? He was Ah. speaking to his congregation about, I don't know, something profound. However, I got to shout out both. (laughs) Without truly knowing the answer myself, I can't say I'm wiser than him and certainly not wiser than you or Einstein. Space-time, what the heck is that? Well, this is a, a, as the mathematicians say, this is a non-trivial question, right? So, we experience, we as humans, I'm assuming most of our listeners are humans, I apologize to anyone who's not. Right. We experience space as the thing that keeps stuff from being on top of each other. Whoa. You can't, you can't be in the same place as a table. And we call that, we, that, that difference between you and the table we call space when you try to occupy the same thing. Oh, interesting. And we've got a fair bit of freedom in space, right? You can walk towards the table. You can walk away from the table. Um, uh, you can climb on top of it. You can climb under it. Uh, and it so happens that there's three different ways you can get around that table, and we call those dimensions. Ah, uh, yes. So that's what we mean when we say we live in a, a three-dimensional universe, is that there's sort of front and back, left and right, up and down, and any kind of motion you might be interested in can be broken down into those three components. Right. So. Yes, that's so, space. And, yeah. That's right, yeah. And then time, we experience as a different kind of thing. You're not free to move around in time uh-huh. the way you're free to move around in space. Bastards. Right? Yes. Or trapped. Yeah. So time just kind of moves along without us, or carries us along, rather, right? And we don't... So because of that... Because you can move freely in space, but you can't move freely in time, it seems obvious to most folks for most of human existence that those are two very different things. And to here, here what I'm, I'm going to make a huge leap forward for those who, mm-hmm. who don't know or have not in, 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 uh, encountered this question before. Einstein, Albert Einstein, figured out that gravity, which is something we're, we weren't even talking about there. There's nothing, right. What are we talking about? Gra- what? Gravity? That gravity is caused by this thing called space-time being curved, or as I like to say, bent. Yes. Yeah, so we kind of need one more step, I think, before we start curving space-time, which is just to to point out that one of Einstein's great contributions in his theory of general relativity is to argue that space and time are not so different, but rather that they're just different components of one larger thing. That actually, he doesn't name it space-time. It's this guy, uh, Minkowski, one of his old teachers, who first names it this way, and Einstein is resistant at first 
But the, uh, eventually the idea is that it's not that we have three dimensions of space and one dimension of time, but we have a four-dimensional space-time entity. And then we as limited human beings experience that wrong, right? As, as Minkowski says, we, we, we see space and time as shadows of reality, and we mistake the shadows for the real thing. It's so mind blowing. It's yeah. so mind blowing. So, uh, in fact, a, a little bit we spoke in uh, a couple episodes ago. Uh, but space. Here's the, here's the thing. The, the the ultimate solution was what the heck is gravity? And it turns out that gravity is the curvature of space time, mm-hmm. but even space. Basically, people thought gravity was a magnetic, loosely. I feel like the way I was taught in school, or the way I completely misinterpreted the textbooks and the teacher, <laughs> was that gravity was like this magnetic force. It wasn't magnets, but some basically identical to that, similar to that, where the Earth is really big and has a lot of power somehow and pulls me down. Yeah, so the magnetic analogy is helpful. So Newtonian gravity uh, assumes that, or postulates, that there's this force that, like magnetism, is invisible and acts at a distance, but is otherwise conceptually the same as you grabbing an object and pulling it towards you. So it's a force in that that strict sense. Like the sun is pulling the earth somehow. Right. So if you take a physics class, the first thing they'll do is teach you about forces and how to sort of conceptualize the world in that way. And that's very helpful for doing things like building bridges and figuring out how long it takes a car to stop and putting a satellite into orbit. But then Einstein comes along with general relativity and gets rid of this notion of force. So Relativity is a theory of gravity, amongst other things. But as you say, instead of talking about gravity pulling on things, it now says that gravity, as you perceive it, is the curvature of space-time. And we just, the, the basic rule in relativity is objects follow the shortest path in four dimensions. Okay. And sometimes, that results in in weird things that we then perceive as gravity. So here's an analogy that is, is sometimes helpful for us, right? Yes. So I should say the, the basic problem here is that our brains don't handle four dimensions. They there we just go. Brains don't. don't handle, I mean, barely handle three. Yeah, that's especially early in the morning. Yes. Okay. So what we do instead if we is use mathematics. And if we don't have mathematics, we have to use analogies to lower dimensions. So I, I want to stress this because people often mistake the analogy for the real thing. But these are just analogies to kind of help us understand what's happening. Right. And I, I just say one thing. This, this is a visceral thing. It's funny. It's easy to just sort of say, even to tune out. Don't Definitely don't tune out. Uh, first of all, this is not coming to you through radio waves, so you couldn't actually tune it out. That's a whole other <laughs> show. You feel gravity right now. You feel it very strongly. If, you, if you're not paying mm-hmm. attention to it, maybe you sort of ignore it because you're used to it. Think about it for a moment. You know, lift something, anything that has any kind of what we would call weight to it, 
and you feel, if you lift your coffee cup and hold it for a bit, you feel this strong force pulling you down. That is not just some, like, the answer to what's going on there. Like, if it was this magnetic, so pseudo-magnetic force of the Earth, it kind of makes sense. It's actually easy to imagine only because we understand magnets, and in this day and age, we're used to invisible things like electricity, invisible forces. However, what Einstein eventually showed was that you are, there it is, look at your hand holding the coffee cup. It is inside space-time, cur- a curved, four-dimensional space-time. There, it's happening right in front of your face. <laughs> yeah, it's totally shamelessly. <laughs> you are feeling the curvature of four-dimensional space-time. It's actually happening to you right now all over your body. Okay. Imagine you're an ant, all right, or similarly small crawling creature, right? Okay. And you're crawling along a piece of paper. This, you're essentially, you're so small that you're unaware that the piece of paper has a third dimension, okay? You're essentially a two-dimensional creature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, you're an ant, so you don't know about anything. That's right. You don't know that there's tall stuff, all right? You're just walking along, okay? Um, and you, uh, let's see, I don't know, uh, you drop some breadcrumbs, right? Or whatever the ant equivalent of breadcrumbs is. Yes. Behind crumbs, you walk- crumbs of breadcrumbs, probably. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and after walking uh, a little bit, you come back to the breadcrumbs that you initially dropped. Uh-huh. And you say to yourself, well, that's weird. I Because th- I thought I was just walking in a straight line. But here I am back where I started. Oh, oh. So there must have been a force that pulled me around back to where I started. Something okay. pulled me around in a circle. Or somehow right. turned me around, and I was—I didn't even notice it. That's right. And so, so that's like the—that's the natural explanation for what happened to me. Right. But now we're going to zoom out. So you're now the person watching the ant crawling on the piece of paper. Right. And you see the ant crawling in a straight line along the piece of paper, and then you take the paper and you roll it up. You are—you are a mischievous god. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and the ant thinks it's still walking in a straight line. Because it, it's only aware of the paper. But from your point of view, you can see that the paper is curved. So from your point of view, you know that there is no force acting on the ant. It's just that the surface the ant is walking on is curved. Right. At this point, we're not talking about the ant feeling anything. Right. It's just that the ant concludes that there's a force going on. So, uh, so this is... The point of this analogy is to show that depending on what level of dimensionality you can perceive, you will come to different conclusions about what's happening around you. In fact, we could say from from our, so us, the mischievous god holding this piece of paper with the ant on it that we rolled up, and we can look down and see, oh yeah, it's a three, you know, I've, this piece of paper is curved in three dimensions. It's it's actually, we've curved it into a circle, so or into a, like a cylinder, so right. to speak. And he's, mm-hmm. for us, it's totally trivial what's right. going it's on totally clear right no problem for the ant it's just impossible for the ant to imagine totally mysterious to the ant so the ant concludes that there is this invisible force at work pulling it around in a circle okay. so that's what four-dimensional space-time 
is like. So if you were a fully four-dimensional creature, you would see this curvature of space-time. And for instance, the Earth goes around the sun because of the curvature of space-time around the sun. But we limit it. It looks to, it's exactly the same as watching the ant walk in a circle. So it's a four-dimensional sheet. Which, which I want to stress, you cannot conceive. So the, the best you can do is this three-dimensional analogy with the ant. But we, so the four-dimensional creature just sees the, the Earth going in a straight line around the sun, but that straight line is on a curved surface. Straight line in three of the four dimensions. In four dimensions, full on, right? But in three dimensions... To us, right, we limited creatures that can't see four dimensions right. We are the ant. We conclude that there must be a mysterious force holding the Earth in orbit. So Einstein was a four-dimensional creature. Well, he used mathematics to pretend to be a four-dimensional creature. Wow, that's some power. Power of math. That this is the power of math. That's exactly right. Is it can it, it literally lets you escape this this meat prison in which we find ourselves. <laughs> yes. Imagine an ant caught in a meat prison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's getting kind of disgusting. Maybe uh, should, that's should... that's ants in your pants. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should try to escape that right. while we can. So it's um. So we be and if the ant presumably if the ant could learn non-Euclidean geometry, it might be able to figure out that there's this three-dimensional world it's embedded in. Which yeah, which would be a leap of faith unless he could somehow prove it. Yeah, that's right. So one of the things you have to do is look for other things that curved space-time can do. Amongst other things, it bends light. So you can go check and see if light rays are bent by the curvature of space. So without getting too deep into that, we can say that uh, 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 identical to the, so when the ant walked around, now we say a straight line, actually even when we, three-dimensional creature, look down at this ant on a two-dimensional sheet, we don't say he, he walked in a straight line in two dimensions, but in three dimensions, it was clearly. Yeah, that's right. So this is, I should say, straight line means shortest distance between two points. And sometimes that's obvious how that works, and sometimes it's not, and it gets kind of complicated in, in four dimensions. And I should say, you're if you've ever taken a long flight, you're already familiar with this idea that something can look curved in one space and straight in another. So if you, um, you know how you call up the, the, the map of your flight trajectory yes. on your screen? Yes, yep, yep. And it looks like this curve, right? From So I just came back from Paris, right? So the Paris-New York curve looks like this, this, you know, half a loop. And one might say, why are they taking that curved path? Right, why don't, why don't they, they just take straight? a straight line? Which, in fact, if you if you think about like those old movies from the 1940s, say, or also uh, brought back in, say, Raiders of Lost Ark, when you would see a plane flying on an old map, they'd show you the route. Mm-hmm. They often do it as a straight line. 
Yes, that's right. Which is incorrect. Which is, well, this is the thing is that it is a straight line on the curved surface of the Earth. Right. So if you draw, so on the the curve the surface of the Earth, which is a three dimensional curve, there is a shortest straight line. And that's the line that the, your plane actually takes. But then when you want to represent that on the two-dimensional surface of your video monitor, it looks curved. Okay. But it's only curved because your video monitor is trapped in two dimensions. Right. You're or even the, the whole view of the Earth is clearly very distorted on a map. Yeah. All kinds of weird things happen, especially at the top and the bottom. Yeah, and that's essentially all comes down to the problem of trying to turn a three-dimensional surface, the curved surface of the Earth, into a two-dimensional surface. Um, and that's essentially the basic problem of map making. How do you do that? Let's take one pause and say, mm -hmm. why can we not imagine the fourth dimension? This is a complicated question that I'm not sure there's sort of a clean answer to. I, I suspect the answer is evolutionary biology, right? Our brains evolved to uh, escape predators and find prey on the African savanna millions of years ago. And evolution is a, a greedy and parsimonious master. So evolution gives us what we need, for the most part. And we didn't really need to be able to conceptualize four dimensions. I guess we could even say that there was no stress on the system that had to do with understanding the fourth dimension, so the brain didn't even try to solve it. Right, yeah, we would say that uh, there's no selective pressure for, for that, right? No, uh, no adap adaptive advantage. But, I mean, our brains are weird enough that we're able to invent mathematics that do let us go beyond our ordinary experience. And exactly, so I should say, these, this is a, a area of traditional controversy. I mean, that's probably the best way to say it. Why is it that our brains that are adapted for evolutionary purposes can do things that have no obvious evolutionary value, like develop non-Euclidean geometry. And as a sort of weird side note, Alfred Russell, Russell Wallace, the co-discoverer of natural selection, thought that that was an indication of supernatural intervention. You mean to prevent us, from, like we live in a simulation? No, 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 oh. rather... Because there's no adaptive advantage to things like art and mathematics, the fact that we can do it shows that there was supernatural intervention. I should also say that this is not sort of the Christian God Wallace was talking about, but rather he was a spiritualist. So he imagined that there were all of these um, sort of ghostly spirits floating around teaching us math. Well, the thing is, if we could, if we, I mean, in, in having mastered this for. You know, Einstein, in f giving his own selective pressure, or maybe we the selective pressure was competition among <laughs> scientists, although I think Einstein did this. <laughs> he had a question. I mean, evolution actually finally did give birth to someone. Yeah, it just took a little while, right? Right, yeah. who, who could do it. <laughs> Certainly, if you can master this, 
higher dimensional power to observe, whatever, observe, perhaps manipulate it, you really do have an evolutionary advantage. Tremendous. Well, I should say evolutionary advantage in Darwinian terms has to do with how many kids you have. So uh, it is unfortunately not obvious that skill in mathematics leads to more reproductive success. <laughs> to, to put it gently. Um, so, so the, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I want to uh, come back to the original question is, what the if we could see? So I'm holding my, I'm, I'm holding, we'll change my coffee cup. I don't know. So I'm holding a coffee cup full of coffee. Right. It has some weights. I'm holding it out there and I'm not resting my elbow on anything. I'm holding it out into just straight up. No support. And it feels heavy. And the longer I hold it there, the heavier it feels. What what would I see around it that I can't see? All right. So if you don't mind dropping your coffee cup, it becomes a little easier. Okay. So a supported object creates weirdness. So it's a little easier if we just drop things and let them take their na their natural trajectory. So um, so we'll kind of we'll we'll make time go slow so we can look at it. So you drop your coffee cup, and in your normal Brooklyn perspective, it looks like there is a force pulling the coffee cup towards the ground. It looks like a force. So I, right. I, I, so, I imagine... So, yeah, you, you see the coffee cup moving towards the ground, and you say there must be a force pulling it in that direction. Right? Um, but now, you put on your four-dimensional goggles. <laughs> right. They <laughs> look good, nice by the way. They're Ray-Ban. <laughs> Ray-Ban 4. And suddenly you realize that there is no force pulling the coffee cup down, but rather the coffee cup is just moving in a straight line through four dimensions, as, as all right-thinking objects do. Everything just moves in a straight line. The coffee cup's just trying to get from point A to point B, but the, the bit of space-time it's sitting in is curved. So in four dimensions, it simply looks like the cup is moving in a straight line. It's rolling. It's right. It's right. just moving of its own inertia. So let's go to, if the ant puts on her little little three dimensional goggles. Mm -hmm. I see. What you're saying is there is no way to see it unless you imagine being in the higher dimension. Yeah, that's right. It's a when you're in the higher dimension looking at the lower ones, you can see things that are true <laughs> that you cannot see from the lower dimension. The lower dimensional being is trapped. Now, we do know, uh, of course, anyone who has read The Three-Body Problem, it may be in the second book of that trilogy where they go into the fourth dimension. Maybe even the third. It's later. Yeah, so that's right. So the three-body problem plays with all sorts of interesting variations on this. And there's some astronauts in a ship that go through a bubble or something. Basically, they literally can walk through a door and go into the fourth dimension. It would be handy. Yeah, so the, in that sense, the... Um, 
the three-body problem is the 21st century version of uh, Edwin Abbott's classic Flatland. And whereas sort of Flatland was, um, I don't know, kind of cheeky and fun, and then three-body problem is depressing and <laughs> existentially horrifying. So It's very graphic. That's the difference between the, the 19th century and the uh, 21st. So for one, one thing I remember in, the three, in that is that they went into the fourth dimension, and when they looked at a coffee cup, actually, mm -hmm. they saw it didn't look like a cup at all. It was spread out, maybe in the way that we think of the Earth put out on a two-dimensional sheet. It was, the cup was completely opened up, spread out, and for some reason they could see every single molecule or something like there was some, it was like so this is yeah so it's, uh, stuff gets weird fast so if you're a properly four-dimensional creature then one of the side effects is that you're no longer trapped in time the way we are remember that to our experience of time is that time goes in one direction and we have no ability to move around in it other than that march forward right but if you're a four-dimensional being that's not going to be the case anymore you can move through time just as easily as you move through space no biggie or even if you don't have the capability of moving for whatever reason you're nailed down or something you can perceive time in the same way we perceive space so I can look ahead in, <laughs> yeah. in space, I can look forward, I can look backwards, and that doesn't surprise me in any way, right? I can see the front of the room and I can see the back of the room. But if I'm looking in four dimensions and I have free ability to do so, I can see the future, I can see the present, and I can see the past just as easily as I can look around my office. This was actually, I, I feel like, somewhat well visualized in Interstellar. They they made a game attempt at it, yeah. Yeah, where Matthew McConaughey had gone, I think goes into a black hole or something. But for some reason, again, he gets put into the fourth dimension. Yeah, so you can then, and then once you see these things, then there there are very strange philosophical consequences to this. So it's in terms of space, it's no surprise that the front of my office exists at the same moment as the back of my office, right? There's nothing strange about that. But if I'm seeing things in four dimensions, now I can see the past and the future all at the same moment of experience. So that suggests, amongst other things, that the future is set, if I can see it. So there's, there's no longer any sense of the future being undetermined or unknown. I can literally just turn my head and see when the L train is going to be shut down next. Okay, and now that the rainbow ball cursor of my brain is spinning, <laughs> saying, uh, I, you need to force quit me and reboot. Time. So again, we're going back to the question, can I see space-time? Like, okay, so now I can sort of Barely, you know, with all these talk about how weird everything looks and all that, okay, I sort of imagine what it means to be able to see four dimensions of space. Mm -hmm. But you just started to talk about a different thing, which is time as a dimension, which even when I heard that as a kid is weird. So going all the way back to my days in elementary school, although that may have been college, I don't, maybe, I don't know. What, what <laughs> They're all I, pretty much It the all same. sort of went together. All involved playtime and naps. 
more than reading. So, I, we, I at some point remember learning, oh, well, what Einstein meant when he said three, uh, four-dimensional space-time, whatever, is three dimensions of space plus one dimension of time, and it's sort of like, yeah, time, you know, that thing. It's like, we all know what that is. But you're saying, in the, what you're describing here, it sounds like four-dimensional space, and then there's weird time effects. Yeah, does that that's make right. sense? So, what's the t- how is time a dim- how does Einstein think of the, both space and time as somehow different aspects of the same thing? That's right. So again, this this comes back to our prejudice of four million years of evolution, which is that space and time sure seem different, and that's almost certainly because that that last fourth dimension, time, for whatever reason, we have no control over moving in it. And I should say, why why we experience time differently from space is one of the great questions of science and philosophy that everyone is still trying to figure out. So we could say, just think about, t- if we think about time as one dimension, perhaps like a line, for some reason... We experience it differently, and it's not, I should say, it's not clear why. This is, this is a genuine mystery. But if you're a four-dimensional creature, that difference should fall away. You should, I mean, and you can then, if you can move freely through four dimensions, you can experience whatever mixture of space and time you want. So this is kind of a, when you take a, a class in general relativity, one of the things you you do is you take the you can take the same trajectory through space time through four dimensions and chop it up in different ways. So you can get what what are called space like trajectories, meaning that if you were following it, it would feel like you were walking through a building. And then there's time like trajectories, that is, you experience time elapsing, but you can mix those up. Right? So you can figure a way from point A in space-time to point B in space-time that feels like walking or one that feels like you're just sitting still and the clock is ticking, but you can end up at the same place. So, so it's actually, I feel like it's important, and this is where the idea of space-time comes in, that it sounds like the first thing that happens, we live in three dimensions and we think of it as space and then we just sort of attribute time to, we can imagine it as a, let's say it's a, it's its own dimension. But what we're saying is when we go into, quote, the fourth dimension, you can imagine that purely as a space thing, like you just go into fourth dimension. However, what Einstein is showing us is that space-time is one thing. And in fact, when you elevate, if, if, you, if you get to experience an additional dimension, so you live in three, when you go into the fourth that fourth is going to be a fourth dimension of space, but also a fourth dimension of time? Well, so this is why we have to do this funny hyphenation of space-time, <laughs> because space-time is its own thing. It is a four-dimensional entity that follows its own rules. But then in order for that to make sense in our primitive monkey brains... Ah we have to distinguish between space and time. So I should say, it's entirely possible to create a version of space-time that has extra spatial dimensions that we would not perceive as time. So you can have a six, it's perfectly valid, it's allowed in relativity to have, for instance, a six spatial dimension place 
that also has a time dimension tacked on. So then you wouldn't see the future in the past. Well, you, you would, but you would need to be able to perceive seven dimensions at one go. Ah. So this is one of the things that string, string theory gives us, is you'll hear string theorists talk about an 11-dimensional universe. And what they mean by that is that there are all these extra dimensions that, again, we can't perceive. So right now, you, you, have, you may be moving in the eighth spatial dimension, but we can't perceive it, so we don't notice it. And the, the usual explanation is that those, those space, extra spatial dimensions are rolled up so tight that you don't notice movement in them. But that gets complex. As bad as trying to visualize four dimensions is, when you get to 11 dimensions... Then it gets uh, complicated. It's bad news. All right, yeah. here's my very last question then. And I love this. This has been a freewheeling, psychedelic, chaotic, mind-bending, space-time mind-bending episode. Here's my last question. What does a fourth dimension... What does a four-dimensional clock look like? Oh... Um, well, you can make a clock out of lots of things, I ah. guess. <laughs> so that is the, the first answer. For a clock, um, you need some kind of repetitive physical process. All right, so like a pendulum is a repetitive physical process. The, the vibration of a quartz crystal in a digital clock is a repetitive physical process. So you need something that's going to repeat in four dimensions. Although actually, even simpler, actually, maybe it's simpler to say, I've got, imagine an old-fashioned alarm clock. Tick, yeah. tick, 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 big old thing with two bells on top. When I go into this fourth dimensional place, that what is that clock? I guess it's more, I can see that clock going, I can see looking forward, so-called. Mm-hmm. Vision, oh, right. Images yeah. So if you're, if you're a fully four-dimensional being, then yeah. you can see the curvature of space-time. When you look at the clock, you'll see the clock displaying every moment. But it's all smeared together, I'm guessing. Well, something like that, yeah. So you could walk up and poke the clock at any time you wanted. <laughs> so, yeah. So you could... I mean, it's it. Uh, okay, I, I know exactly what this feels like. Getting back to the idea that we live in a weird space, and what it feels like. When I wake up in the morning and the alarm clock is going off, that time between when I'm moving, to, I, I to, to make sure I wake up, I keep the alarm clock on the other side of the room. Ah, smart. So in yeah. that time between, I get out of bed and I am reaching for the clock. That mental state of confusion and fog and everything. That's what it feels like in the fourth dimension, I think. Well, it's um, rather if in the fourth dimension, if you can move freely in the fourth dimension, you can just choose to pick up from the moment where you're awake. Whoa. Right? You're like, <laughs> I don't want to listen to my alarm go off. So I'm just going to step around to this part of time at which I've had my coffee. The alarm is off. The dishes have been done. Wow. Oh, we really are. Primitive. But even it's it's a disgrace to the monkeys to say our monkey brain. I think well, the monkeys might actually understand all this. That is entirely possible. I should say this, uh, the, the metaphor, I don't know if metaphor is even the right word, but this evokes the way Plato talked about the myth of the cave, if, you're, if you remember that, um, which is that 
you know, Plato suggested we're all prisoners chained to a rock inside a cave, and all we can see is the shadows from the outside. But since that's all we've ever seen, we assume that's true. Those are the real things. And it's only the the philosopher who is able to free themselves from those chains and turn around and actually see the real thing. And that's sort of the job of philosophy, just to free you from those chains. So Einstein is the one who, who, who first looks around and says, you know. And it was 100 years ago yesterday, the date of which happens to be Yesterday was, uh, was it yesterday? May was 29th, the yeah. May 29th. It was 100 years, 100 years ago on May 29th mm-hmm. is when, is it when Eddington, the, the date of the eclipse that Eddington mm-hmm. photographed? Yep, that's right. That gave the first sense that I, that relativity was correct. Yeah. The, that photograph that photograph was the primitive human attempt to see the curvature of space-time. So you if you want to know what 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 the if what Einstein's war happens to give beautiful descriptions of things like the moment that an astronomer had to work his butt off but saw, sort of with his own eyes, but really in looking at a photograph, actual physical evidence of this, ins- all these insane things we were just talking about, he saw a little little indication of that and said, holy right. crap. And it took, I should stress, uh, the photograph itself, of course, is done in the course of seconds, but then it takes months of measurement and mathematical analysis to sort of find those four-dimensional features hiding inside it. Take that, monkeys. I don't think the monkeys have patience. That's one thing I could say. Uh, That has been my experience when trying to explain relativity to monkeys. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All they want to do is eat. Exactly. They're like, like, get on with it. (laughs) Right. Also like seventh graders. Well, thank you for this little bit of journey. I do. I feel like Matthew McConaughey in Interstellar there. It's like, what? You look look a lot like Matthew McConaughey. I think... I've been knocking on this bookcase over here for <laughs> days, and, and uh, the girl on the other side won't respond. So, uh, wow. I leave it to our, uh, to you, our listener, uh, a little homework assignment. Uh, imagine what, uh, figure out what does free will mean oh boy. in four-dimensional space. Now. Yep, this is a, this is a real issue. That would be a bonus. Mm-hmm. Bonus. If you can solve that, you will get two finger puppets. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for another mind-blowing, mind-bending. It's all starting to seem very small now. I don't even know. Self-crushing Yeah, that seems experience. fine. Yes. Mm-hmm. As always, I want to give a thank you to the Unemployed Philosophers Guild. We didn't have... You, Often we take on, we have guests or we have a, we, are, we take one of your ideas, listener ideas, and in those instances, if you were one of those people, if your idea gets chosen, you will receive a finger puppet from the Unemployed Philosophers Guild. I tell you, just go to philosophersguild.com, look at the website, you'll have a good laugh and you'll feel much better about your place in whatever dimension you live in. There's a lot to choose from. Yeah. 
Also go to the Chop Shop Store. Chop Shop Store. Thomas Romer is this beautiful artist who makes all kinds of amazing things. Currently making blocks, beautiful blocks of this, like children's blocks. Of the, instead of the alphabet, though, his 19 bodies in the solar system, not human bodies. <laughs> Phew. 19 worlds plus one star. 20 blocks that he's made with uh, Emily Lakdawalla at the uh, Planetary Society. But most of all, go to our website, whattheif.com. You will see all the other episodes, like a four-dimensional space-time, actually. I don't know, you know, there's something there. Well, actually, you know, that's not a bad analogy. That's right. It's spread out. Two years worth of... You you get to choose where in the years you want to set down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So almost 100 episodes there. Whattheif.com. You can also subscribe, which you should subscribe to the episode. Then we automatically show up. It's free. Boom. We show up on your thing. You don't have to think about it anymore. You don't have to think about that whole space-time thing. Your device will take care of it for you. You can also contact us there. Shoot us an email. You can send us an email or on on the website. You just hit contact or you can email us directly at feedback at whattheif.com. What does feedback sound like in four-dimensional space You can choose whichever letter in the word you want to hear at a given moment. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Follow us on Twitter at What The If Show and find us on Facebook. We have a nice Facebook group there. All the episodes get posted and you can discuss our our shows there too. We post pictures also both on Twitter at What The If Show and on Facebook, the What The If page. I'm constantly posting interesting news stories, space, science, math, astronomy, tons of stuff there. People love that. They share it. Also, just beautiful pictures uh, from NASA, astronomy picture of the day, all kinds of things like that. And leave us a review if you haven't done that yet. We really would appreciate it. We're getting some new reviews. That's fantastic. On Apple Podcasts. Formerly known as iTunes. I noticed people are now referring to it as Apple Podcasts. Oh, I, I did not know that. Finally catch up. Yes. Apple Podcasts being, well, that's the app, I guess, that people are using on their phones. And 99% of people are listening to podcasts on their cellular device or perhaps tablet. So <laughs> leave us a review. That would be fantastic. Go find what the if and then click review and do it. We have some very exciting guests coming up. Some of our previous favorite guests are going to be coming back. Kirby Runyon from uh, the New Horizons mission. He's going to be coming back. Definitely want to get Vanessa Parada on, Dr. Kiki. All kinds of amazing people are coming back. And we have some new, I'm going to leave it as a tease. (laughs) We have some, uh, we just have a very famous science fiction author coming. It's very exciting. In the future. It's going to be later this year. We've been talking back and forth and I couldn't be more excited about that. So, from me, Philip Shane in the What The If Studios, Brooklyn Division, and you, Matthew Stanley, in the Manhattan Wing, connected by space-time. So in in four-dimensional space-time, we might be actually closer than... (laughs) We wouldn't have to take the subway. Uh, Depends on the curvature of space. But yes, there, there would be setups in which we could just reach across the East River. Maybe that's what's messing up the subway these days. That would explain a lot. Actually. Too much space yeah. time. 
But when we ponder this, and we ponder who is this science fiction author who's going to be coming up in the future? What subjects hmm. will we be discussing? We can't help but see our reflection in the 11 dimensional string theory funhouse mirror and say, What, what the. the- if, if, if.